0: Many of us have really been horrified to watch the suffering that is going on in India. And if you've been on the prayer chain uh, in particular, you've been aware of the people that we have been praying for, particularly for our missionaries with youth with a mission. And Steve Cochran sent us this picture of Binu, who is one of the people that we have been praying for. Uh, She still is uh, in intensive care and is still severely uh, ill with COVID. Uh, They have to date lost six members of the YWAM staff there and then three additional people who are close family members. So I can't imagine what it'd be like if we lost nine members of our congregation. Uh, But because of the generosity of people in our church, uh, we were able to send uh, $10,000 out of our benevolence fund and the mission involvement team was able to redirect about $3,500 Um, from their missions giving to go to Youth with a Mission in India, to help with hospital bills and to care for people and uh, some other things that will address the COVID need there. We know that it's just a drop in the bucket, but $13,000 also goes a long way in India. So I just wanted to let you know that your generosity is making a difference in the lives of people, uh, our brothers and sisters uh, who are suffering in ways that most of us can't even imagine. Uh, in India. And so I just want to encourage you the, that we continue to be concerned about people around the world and in our communities. And your generous support allows us to make a difference in both of those places. So thank you. On to the sermon. Um, I'm not afraid to fly. And turbulence doesn't really bother me unless I'm, I'm holding something hot. Um, there's not too much that scares me. I think the thing that I'm most afraid of of flying is if the pilot doesn't turn off the fasten seatbelt sign and I've had two cups of coffee. That strikes more fear in me than anything. But there are still uncomfortable moments when I'm in an airplane. And it is primarily because it is the place in my life where I am most obviously not in control there's absolutely nothing I can do with what is going on with that airplane. And because I generally only fly a couple of places, I know exactly what the plane should be doing. And anytime the plane deviates, um, it really bothers me. Like in the middle of Oregon, if you're coming up to Seattle, there is no reason to turn right. And when I'm on a plane that does that, I'm really bothered until the pilot corrects again and turns left, and then I go, ah, air traffic control, they're just buying some time. I don't like that feeling of being out of control. And I've talked to enough people to know that there's a lot of you who feel like being out of control is really uncomfortable. And particularly in a time where there's so much that feels like it is beyond our control, I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture that's going to help us address how we can live when we have those feelings. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. even the wind and the waves obey him." So, Jesus is on the the Sea of Galilee, and it has been a long day, but it's not over yet. It's gotten to be evening time, and Jesus decides he wants to go to the other side of the lake. So, uh, the Sea of Galilee is a decent-sized body of water, and my guess of where from where Jesus was to where he wanted to go, it was probably two or three miles across fairly open water, and, Water made people really nervous during this period of time. The, the, the people of Israel were not a seafaring folk. They lived in the mountains pretty much. And in Jewish thought and in Jewish philosophy and in Jewish uh, theology, the sea is a very scary place. It is a place that is um, chaotic. And that comes out of the creation account in Genesis, where in Genesis 1-2, it says that the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the sea, the face of the deep, and chaos reigned. So in addition to chaos, uh, Jewish philosophers also believed that the sea contained evil, which you you can understand. I mean, it's deep, it's dark, you can't see what's down there, it's kind of scary. And so in Jewish thought, the sea actually became the place where God and evil clashed. And so this is the picture that you have to have when you you get these people at twilight who are rowing two miles across open water on a sea. And with that philosophical background, I kind of have this picture in my mind. So you have in Jewish cosmology, you've got God who is up in heaven, You've got Satan and evil who are in the sea, and they're just kind of floating out there in the middle of it. They're not in one place or the other, they're just in that center place where these two forces collide and clash, and that's a scary place. So they're out on the sea, they're in the middle, this place where clash between good and evil happens, and a storm comes up, and it's a pretty good one. Now, you can Google or look on YouTube and see storms on the Sea of Galilee, and they get storms like any other body of water. I mean, they get pretty impressive white caps and pretty impressive wind. And if you're in a boat that's only about that that deep, it doesn't take a whole lot to make you nervous. And so this is a pretty good storm, and the wind and the waves have kicked up, and the water is coming in over the the side faster than they can bail it out, and it's gotta be pretty scary. And as they look at the sky, it's gotta feel like it's going from bad to worse. And like me in the back of the airplane, they are completely out of control. So with even just that little bit, can you put yourself in the story yet? Can you think of an experience in your life where you felt out of control and completely at the mercy of your circumstances? So that's where they're at. And they're concerned they're going to sink. And people being people, you know at least one disciple down there is bailing, going, I told you this was a bad idea. And in the midst of all the chaos and all of the panic and all of the nervousness and the waves and the wind and the feeling of helplessness, in the midst of all of this, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat so what do we infer from that what do they infer from that well god is a very sound sleeper maybe or that god's not aware of the severity of the situation which is kind of where i think the disciples land they're a little put out that they are so worried and jesus isn't concerned enough to wake up they're panicked they feel out of control and they sense maybe this is the most scary, that Jesus isn't in control either. Or that at the very least, he's not going to be as helpful as they thought. And both of those bring up major faith issues, don't they? So a real set of panic sets in, and then they wake Jesus up. And they say, don't you care if we drown? Except the real force of the question is more like this, you care that we're gonna die right because they're hoping that the answer is yes so Jesus gets up and he shakes the sleep off and he says stop with the wind and the waves and it stops and I really really want to believe that Jesus is in all of his compassion, in all of his care, in all of his graciousness, looks at this group that probably looks like drowned rats and responds with gentleness and clutches them in with a huge comforting bear hug and says, it's going to be okay. But that's not what the text says. The text records that Jesus says something like, you're kidding me, right? Because there are other pieces of information that they needed to take into account first of all they were out on the water because jesus told them to go jesus had a plan for where they were going jesus was with them they've walked with jesus they've seen who jesus is they've seen what jesus does Jesus provided other people. Mark makes a note that there were other boats with them in addition to the people that were in the same boat they were, although they couldn't see it at the time, apparently. All they could see was their own predicament. And all they could feel, even though they had seen all these things, was that they weren't in control anymore. So they panicked. And they let fear get the best of them. And maybe even anger. So let's put ourselves in the story now. I don't know about you, but right now, this is a great metaphor for my life. I feel like I'm in a boat out on the chaos of a stormy sea. Everything seems unsettled. I I feel like I have a million different data points, and I have no way to synthesize any of them. I don't know what anything means. I just observe things that are happening, and life feels really stormy right now. What are some of the storms in your life that you can think of? Some of them may be very personal to you. There may be the storm of a health problem, or a relationship crisis, or a major decision that needs to be made that doesn't seem to have an obvious best choice. Or maybe the storms in your life are storms in our nation, or storms in the world, and I'll let you, know, I'll let you name what those storms might be. I know that one of my storms certainly would be Christians who can't seem to be able to have loving, grace-filled conversations, let alone relationships with people who differ from them politically. And in so many of those areas where we feel that we're in these storms, it feels like we have no control, and that's disconcerting. And part of the problem when we feel that we're out of control is that we have a tendency to respond poorly to that. Maybe we give up. Or maybe we get angry. And those are never helpful responses. They create more problems than they solve. When was the last time you heard someone say, I got really mad and that solved all the problems? Said no one ever. Or perhaps you just panic. I think about we, you know, in, in literal storms, the wind storms that we get here. Uh, we have really tall fir trees that are about 20 feet from my house in the way that the prevailing wind uh, blows. And sometimes, if a big storm blows through in the middle of the night, and my family is all upstairs close to these trees, you know, it would not be helpful for me to run down the hallway yelling, "We'll all be killed." It much more helpful if I go. Hey, we go sleep downstairs that's far more productive than me just reminding everyone we could die but no matter what the storm is that you can identify in your life like the disciples we need to take some important additional pieces of information into account god is with us even when life gets tough even when the storm rages around us it should be noted that one of the main points of this story is that jesus doesn't save us from storms Jesus saves us in storms. Do you believe that? God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And if you don't know anything else in particular, start with loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving the people who are around you. And that's a pretty good approximation of what God's plan and purpose is for you. God gives us the gift of other people. There are people in the boat with them. There are people in the boat with us. There have been a lot of people who are going through crises in the last couple of weeks. And I've talked with a number of people who are going through storms. And to a person, they said some variation of, we are so glad. For the people in the church that have come alongside it means the world we are never alone there's so many ways that god provides for us in the middle of our storms And it's really easy to look at the disciples and their lack of understanding and their lack of faith Uh, we see jesus demonstrating his power in their lives and they don't get it we're like how can they miss that but i wonder if anyone would look at our lives and our struggles of faith and think with all the ways that God has demonstrated his faithfulness and his presence with them, how come they still don't get it? Over and over again in his gospel, this is pretty much a theme, Mark is in one way or another going to ask, will your fear turn to faith? Will you be able to see who Jesus is in your life? Will you see Jesus for what he's doing? So in the midst of the storm, they wake Jesus up and they ask him if he's noticed that they're all about to die. Jesus speaks to the storm and it quiets down. And he asks them, do you still not believe? I think this is an important question because I think we get a little fuzzy on what it is we're supposed to get from Jesus. We have this little divine quid pro quo that I think sometimes we set up in our minds. I'll be good, I'll go to church, I'll even be generous with my time and my money. And you, God, will make sure that there are no speed bumps in my life and everything goes really well. The problem is, that's not what God is calling us to believe in. You can keep your part of that bargain. You can be good, you can go to church, you can be generous with your time and your money and you should do all of those things and you still might not get the job of your dreams. Your kids might be way more challenging than you ever dreamed they would, you'll still get a ticket instead of a warning. It's not that type of quid pro quo belief system. What Jesus is asking is if they believe yet that they'll never go through those storms alone, that God will always be there with them, that anything they face in life, they can face with the strength that Jesus gives them. Those are the things that are never in doubt after they've watched him calm the storm, and after he asks them that question, what's their response? Terror. You can make it awestruck wonder, that kind of works too, but it's basically this sense of, we may have underestimated who we're dealing with here, and we need to figure this thing out. But even if you go with awestruck wonder, you can't get away from a certain underlying sense of a bit of fear, as in, What is going on here? This isn't just anyone we're dealing with. There's something much bigger than we thought that's going on. And at some levels, that's really exciting that we're part of a bigger story. Uh, Paul Actemeyer, who wrote a very good commentary on this, said, The subduing of the sea and the wind was not merely a demonstration of power. It's an epiphany through which Jesus is revealed as Savior this whole story is an epiphany. It's an insight. It's a showing of a deep reality because Jesus does what only the God who created the sea could do, he calms it. And if he can do that, he can help you ride out the storms of your life. But there's another level, to go back to where we started. Remember, the sea is where evil lives. The miracle is not so much about nature and Jesus being able to calm a storm as it is about Satan and the power of evil in our world. Jesus just showed his disciples that evil and chaos and Satan can and will be defeated. Jesus has just given them and us a little taste of what it will look like when the reign and rule of evil and death and Satan is broken. I mean, if you fast forward to the end of scriptures in John's vision in Revelation, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, there is no more sea, no more evil, no more storms, no more chaos. Now to be sure we are still in a world of storms and chaos, where the power of evil is manifest multiple times each day. And there will be times, when it looks like the other side is winning and the people of God are losing. And can we be clear that the enemy here is Satan, not people that we don't agree with? And there will be times where we feel like we are being overwhelmed. But in the midst of the storm, Jesus announces that God is still on the throne. I think there's a general application for us as a congregation too. I, I, I have heard this line before and I saw it again this week. The safest place for ships is in the harbor, but that is not why ships are built. It will always be safer for us to stay in a very controlled environment. Every time we launch out, we will at some level lose control and be out where there could be storms and scary stuff. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed in the midst of the storm we can ride it out with Jesus there are two final points that I want to make before I get to the questions one is that ultimately I only have control over one thing the thing that I have control over is how I'm going to respond to the situations in my life And I always have the opportunity to take a step of faith or to do things that are non-productive. I have control over how I'm going to respond. Nobody else can control that. And sometimes it's the only thing I can control. The other thing is that I think we all need to figure out a way where we can increase our confidence in God's plan, where we can remind ourselves better of God's presence, And I I heard this this really great trick, and I thought, that's brilliant. And I am freely stealing it from Rick Warren, um, from Saddleback of Purpose Driven Life fame, because I loved it because it was so simple. Because lots of times our faith, our understanding of the circumstances around us, how we're riding out the storms depends on the input that we're giving, the input that we're getting. Uh, from people, from news, from whatever. And I heard Rick on a podcast the other day talking about this thing uh, that he called God's Word, First Word, God's Word, Last Word. And I've been trying this, and I really like how it sets me sets, If you've got something else you're doing, that, that's great. But if you aren't doing anything, try this. Uh, Rick is like, let's stay away from our phones, so find a Bible, a physical thing. Some of you will remember them. And he's like, put it, on, put it on your nightstand and leave it open because an open Bible is easier to interact with than a closed one. And when you go to bed at night, um, put your phone down before you close your eyes, turn out the light, just pick up the Bible, pick it up anywhere, start in John, start Psalms, whatever, and just read a couple of lines until something strikes you. It could be something comforting, it could be something encouraging, it could be something challenging. And as soon as you've read that, just put the Bible back down and lay down and go to sleep. And that will be the last thing that you put into your head before you go to sleep. And the same way when you get up in the morning, before you pick up your phone, before you do whatever else, before you get out of bed, you know, rub your eyes and grab the Bible and read a couple of lines until something strikes you. And you'll be surprised at how that will set the tone for your day and how that will change how you're looking at the storms you're going to encounter. God's word, first word, God's word, last word, I have completely ripped that off from Rick Warren, and if it works, then it was worth doing. So now let me ask you some questions. Number one, which do you tend to focus on more, the storm or Jesus' presence with you? Number two, over what event in your life do you long to hear Jesus say, peace, be still? And number three, how can knowing Jesus is in the boat with you help you to weather the storms of your life.